You're listening to the PR Wind Down Podcast, the show for public relations professionals who are ready to see real change in the PR industry. We are your hosts, April Margulies and Laura Schooler. Let's get ready to wind down. Okay, so Laura, questions clients always ask, question of the day. All right. This week, we're talking about questions clients always ask when they've been burned by PR in the past. Well, I mean, I guess if it's a small business and they've really been burned by PR in the past, they're less likely to even deploy PR. But I have been at big companies where there's been partners or spokespeople at a big company who are now being like kind of forced to do PR, be a spokesperson. It's not their company though, so it's not really their decision. And they will say things like reporters always twist my words or they take it out of context. I've never liked anything that a reporter has said after I've talked to them in writing. It, it's never positive. It's always mm-hmm. negative. So I've heard all of those things. That's interesting. Usually what I hear is I hear a lot about the bait and switch. You know, we hired this agency. They promised us the moon. Some. 20 something letter account and we spent thousands of dollars and it got nothing. I mean, that's kind of the normal story. You're talking about PR agencies burn them. I'm talking about reporters burning them. Yeah. That is funny. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the main one that I hear. I mean, I also just hear that there was an agency that didn't do strategic work. So they got them stuff that didn't move the needle. Mm -hmm. You know, it was one of those shops where they just wanted to get placements for the placement's sake, but not with any sort of cohesive strategy that was leading towards their goals or getting their key messages through or hitting the target audiences. Right. So talk about it from a PR agency standpoint first. So something that I find a lot is that they then say, I want a guarantee. They want to know exactly how many placements they're going to get for that price, or they want to do pay as you go model. So I pay you when you get a placement. And I'm like, that's not how it works. No. And then they don't trust you because they think that you're trying to scam them because somebody else scammed them. You can't guarantee it. It's like, it's earned. It's It's not paid. And it's also like, sort of, if you hire a lawyer, they can't guarantee that you're going to win your case, but you still got to pay them. That's right. Yeah. They do their best. They take you on contingency, but then they take, you know, 35, 40%. Right. But in PR, they're not getting any money. Right. And it's impossible to almost to tie it to any income that they get. Right. Yeah. It's a curious career that we have picked where people have to trust us. Well, I think one of the things that's difficult is the industry isn't regulated. Right. So you don't have to pass the bar. You don't right. have to take. You don't even have to have education. a degree in PR. No, definitely not. In fact, a lot of the people who don't are some of the better publicists, too. Right. Because they're self-taught. It's not something that's easy to rectify other than just tell them, hey, you're not alone. This is not the first time I've heard this. I started this agency because I wanted to address some of the issues that I saw at other agencies. So I understand the pain points. Are you also a little bit suspect of potential clients who are like, my last agency was terrible. That's always a red flag to me about the client. I think you're right. Because I think that shows that they don't get it or their expectations are way out of whack way out of whack (laughs) in you know the recent years working at agencies with startups i have 
worked with a client or two who have said that, like, oh, our last agency was terrible. And then you look back at the PR, the media coverage that that firm has gotten. A lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times you're like, actually, it's pretty good. I don't know how much better we're going to do, but let's see, you know, (laughs) and you give it a go and maybe you get, and it's usually like the first month or two, you get good stuff, but then you sort of exhausted it. And then you're in the same boat as the agency before. And they're like, why are you getting me any more media? It's like, because you need to give us customers, whatever it is, and they don't. And then you realize, ah, this is why the last agency ran out of gas because they don't have anything to work with. Right. Yeah. I wrote in my Forbes article about this. I call it PRSD. (laughs) (laughs) And basically I wrote that it can lead to a number of problems with clients if they've been burned by PR in the past. Mm -hmm. One is that they're not patient enough to let things unfold naturally and blossom and see the coverage come to fruition. One is that they end up not spending enough money in PR for long enough to see meaningful results. So they end up, okay, well, we won't, we don't want to get so burned again. So let's only spend this much on PR and see if it works and only do it for three months or something. Right. So they kind Mm -hmm. of underdo it, which also doesn't show them the value of PR or they even undervalue the professional counsel being offered. So they don't take you seriously. They don't take your advice. They don't follow your strategies or they end up not providing enough relevant insights or data or proof points that would make the story mediagenic and newsworthy. So, and then I offered some tips. It's been a while since I wrote this, so it's funny to revisit. I said, educate clients and be honest if you're on the agency side. Ensure the client's media ready, identify client goals first. But if you're somebody who's suffering from PRSD, I said, hire in professionals who are emotionally invested Find a team that can pitch all of your target audiences mm-hmm. and go with your gut, which I think is good because I think a lot of times you get that kind of smarmy vibe from someone and you're like, yeah, but they look like they're probably really professional. I guess I should go with them. And then you meet with somebody that's maybe smaller and they seem like you jive with them and like, you know, but you don't go with them because they don't have the reputation or credentials or something. And the, then, uh, right. And then you end up sort of missing the mark because you end up. Right. You know, going or, with the shiny big agency that's right. going to put you, gonna, that's, gonna, that's not right. going to give you any attention because you're the lowest right. paying client. Right. Even though you're like, oh, I upgraded. I'm to with Edelman. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, whatever. Right. Whereas a smaller agency, if you're one of their bigger clients is really going to put their heart and soul into it. Yep. So what I was thinking this meant was people who are hesitant to talk to reporters because they've been <laughs> burned by reporters. I like that. And didn't want to do PR. Mm-hmm. So they don't trust reporters at all. They get the story wrong. They twist their words. They take them out of context, all of those things. And those things happen, sure. But if you do media training and you really take it seriously and you practice it, then the likelihood that you're going to be misquoted, taken out of context, taken advantage of, all of those things diminishes mm-hmm. greatly. It really does. Right. And you also have to take the counsel from your PR person seriously, mm-hmm. like practice in the mirror, practice, you know, videotaping yourself and playing it back, know your messages backwards and forwards. Think about it. You know, when you're not at work, like, oh, how would I talk about my company or my new product at my company? If I was just mm-hmm. having a conversation and do that. And those kinds of things make you much less 
feeling on the spot when you are interviewed by a reporter and they ask you questions that you don't know or don't like. Mm-hmm. That's usually, I feel like, when people get into trouble because they give angry answers, weird answers, answers that they have no business giving in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so if they've done their media training and they know who they are as a company and with their product, then they would say, if they get asked something they don't like, oh, that's an interesting question. Um, that's not really something that we you know, deal in, but what mm-hmm. we do deal in is this other area. And let me tell you about that. It happened to a client of mine recently, a reporter interviewed my client, got the whole story. And like the last second to last paragraph, the reporter decided they needed to bring in an example of a similar company that kind of got in trouble for a similar kind of thing. Didn't talk to my client about it. Didn't talk to me about it, but wrote a paragraph about how this other company got in trouble and it had nothing to do with my client, but they had to find the like, you know, hot button issue. And that happens a lot and there's nothing you can do about it. And people focus on that. Right. And so go back to them and say, this article is 95% on message and great. Not many people read to the end of articles, right? I mean, who reads past like the first page or the first, you know, two paragraphs most of the time, but they were like, can we tell them to take it down? No, it's not an ad. Like you didn't just let it be. Mm -hmm. Unless it is literally factual information that is incorrect about your company. Right. Which I go back to reporters all the time if they get it wrong. Almost every time a reporter will change it if it's factually incorrect. Right, right. But like, I don't like that you put another company in the story. Like, well, this isn't your story. Right. So we didn't write this for you. Right. But be that as it may, if you practice and are comfortable and the whole thing, I think you can get down the road 80% protection. (laughs) too soon too soon but like there's still 20 percent chance that there's going to be something in a story that you're not thrilled with right 100 percent. yeah you just gotta let it go and i know we have to move on but i will say one final thing i've recently worked with another client to him really no story or publicity is bad publicity he's like whoa yes everybody bring it on and it's a really great attitude to have because the more negative you are, the more negativity you're going to draw in. <laughs> and the more positive you're like, whatever, it's hooray. My name is in the paper. It's and the next time it'll probably be great. Attraction, it's real. I think, I think it's a very good ending. Very nice bow. Well, I see Rick waiting in our waiting room. Okay. Are we ready? Are we ready Let's for this? Let's let Rick in. Here he comes. So our guest today is Rick Smith. He is the founder and CEO of the News USA Content Marketing Agency. Rick brings over 30 years of experience in PR and content marketing, and he is also the founder of News Canada prior to launching his US-based company. Rick has authored six books, including business titles, Getting Started, Getting Money, and Getting Sales. And he is here to discuss his business, Matt releases. Oh my God, they're right there. All the books. That's so impressive. Want to have the props <laughs> ready when you're I love, doing video. Right on cue. So he's going to discuss with us today his business, Matt releases, and where content marketing and tutorials end and where PR begins and where they overlap. So welcome, Rick. Hi there. I have one other prop here. Okay. okay let's see it. 
because I'm in the business of doing like feature articles that get written and run to consumers so that they can see it. So I went back over 50 years to see the format that it was done in a, what is known as a mat release. I was going to say, I heard you say that before. And I was and like, this, what okay, is a mat release? An I remember a mat release where it's actually an article laid out oh, right. in a format that's like a mold that gets on the prints of the press machines. I got this from Associated Release Service, no longer in business, but it was when I was just getting started in the U.S. market, I went and visited them and they gave me that. And it's just been very exciting for me to have the history of it. But the way it's all changing now, press releases are a great way of it announcing and saying here's what we do but it's what you do with it this is this is part of where having a proper pr consultant i'm not a pr consultant i don't claim to be one but a lot of these people running these agencies they can do things with those press releases but it's really what they do with it i think it's very important you have to pitch the journalist specifically on the press release i think the mistake a lot of companies make, they write the press release, they put it on the wire. Somehow they think magically all of the fairies are going to deliver it to the right people and the right hands get their attention. And it's going to turn to stories. That's not how it works. You have to actually custom pitch those press releases with emails that are customized for each reporter to get their attention because they're getting hundreds of emails a day if not thousands in some cases, and right? This is I mean, also, how are you ever going to get their attention? And this is also why you can't hire a PR person for a week and see results. A thousand percent. Right. You have to develop the relationship. You have to keep the relationship. And even if the PR person has a relationship with the journalist, you still have to establish the relationship on behalf of the new client. And that's if you have the economies of scale of the same niche with the same publications that you're dealing with. The problem for most PR firms, especially if you're not the biggest in the world, is every new client that comes in the door has a different group of contacts. One day you could be dealing with a consumer client. The next one, it's a pair of sisters that have golfware. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing is that media is changing positions all the time. So even if you had the contact, they may have moved on to a new position. They take brand new beats. So your go-to person for everything sneakers is suddenly now covering real estate. And you're like, oh, okay, bye. You know, <laughs> like, It's like, that doesn't do you any good until you have a real estate client, you know? So Rick, I think we have to back up for Laura because she had the question about Matt releases. I remember Matt releases the term, but I haven't heard it for so long. Okay, great. So maybe, maybe explain for the youngsters what a Matt release is, how it works. Got it. Beginning Got it. 101, Matt release 101. I've been dealing with mat releases for now over 41 years, full-time every day. A, a mat release is basically you create the finished article and do the work for the journalist. So you're not sending them a press release and saying you need in your busy schedule to stop and write a favorable article on my company the way I want it done. Instead, we're writing that articles. We'll have the top journalists We'll write the article, we'll include the photo, we'll put it all together, we'll make sure the client's okay with it, that we've checked it for accuracy, we put it in associated press style, we put it in finished format, and deliver it in a way that the newspaper and the news site can just drop it in, and it's done. 
because they don't have the staff they used to have to take a press release and start doing everything from square one. Right now, they just want whatever can go in and they want it dropped in. The mat release or the content syndication is more powerful than a traditional press release distribution for four reasons. One, it's focused on the consumer directly. It's 2,000 plus news sites that we guarantee for it to run on. It's 100% satisfaction guarantee. No press release distribution mm -hmm. will redo it if you're unhappy. My company, News USA, will redo the whole thing if they're unhappy. And it's all inclusive. There's no, you don't get charged extra if you have a photo or if you have this or mm -hmm. video or you need to edit something or you, you need to make changes or the copy's too long. How do you get these mat releases out to news sources? Like what's the mechanism? Oh, beautiful. We have RSS feeds. We have obviously the newsusa.com site, but we also have niche feeds where we're creating a new site called freehealthcontent.com, freetravelcontent.com, content syndication network to provide articles and videos for all these health sites for the patient waiting rooms, for the digital signage across the country. And to me, it's, it's exciting the way everything now is syndicated and can be expanded quickly. How did you first forge these relationships with the news outlets to whom you're providing the content? Did you position it like an advertorial? Did you just say, hey, we'll pay you half what they pay for ads and provide content that's filler? How did you get this going? Okay, now you're getting to the meat of everything, okay? <laughs> um, this is the secret sauce. One, we had already been providing camera-ready articles to the newspapers across the country. The first break came when the special sections editor of the Washington Post invited me to Chicago to speak to the newspaper special sections network, which were the people who put the health sections, the auto, the travel for all of the top 100 dailies in the country. And then the uh, next breakthrough came is when I sponsored all the different newspaper conferences and I went around the country meeting and sitting one-on-one -on -one with the publishers of like the Chicago Tribune, the, the Boston Herald. But then what I found the newspaper people were difficult to meet with. This isn't their area. But what I did make inroads with is the exhibitors. A number of the exhibitors were in the process of building out the websites for all these newspapers and newspaper groups. And I met with them and talked with them and they said, listen, we're building out the websites. We're pitching the newspapers like the Buffalo News and we need content. And I said, for every month, based on how many sites you have us on, so as you add us on to more sites, we'll pay you more. Mm -hmm. And then I kept going to conferences and I kept getting face-to-face -face with people and, you know, browbeat a few people and beg and plead with others. And eventually I got enough contracts under that I could come back and guarantee 2000 so we're covering all 50 states. That's amazing. Does it say anything like, you know, advertorial or, you know, is there any indication that it's something that has been written by, created by not one of their reporters? 
each individual website is generally making its own decisions on how it labels or doesn't label content. Mm -hmm. We are now to start experimenting with white labeling our content where it no longer says News USA. Um, so we're building white label partnerships with PR agencies that are looking to get their articles placed on their clients without the News USA branding. That's awesome. So what I'm wondering is, I'd love your take on this. I feel like things with the media are getting more and more sort of blurred with advertorial and it's happening in different ways, right? There's all the contributor networks now for Forbes and Entrepreneur and now Newsweek. And there's also a Influencers. lot of- you have affiliate links that gives editors a kickback. So it's not really paid media, but it's not not paid media. It seems like you had the foresight that this was a potential, you know, well, decades before anybody else even started to think in, the, well, in these terms. Where do you see things okay. going? So I see power of video and I'm seeing how the money is in the video ads. So I've been taking my articles, converting them to video and syndicating them out. But then if I offer the video with an ad feed, I'm finding all of a sudden CNN is interested. All of a sudden New York Times is interested because they're now getting the revenue along with the feed. My oh, because of the ads that run before the video. Yes, the pre-roll. So that's getting my content fed and used in places that I couldn't get in before. And I'm finding like I have some networks of digital signage that say, hey, we have 13,000 hospital patient waiting room screens. They can take our video feed and put it into their thing. Just that. Or they can do that and take our full ad feed, put the two together, and they earn money. And they're running my clients' videos, which happen to be like heart tips from the American Heart Association or, or how to know if you have this or that. It's very smart. And now, today, we just started to put the, our QR codes into videos. You can track... Well, here's the, here's the challenge. You're in the public relations. One of the frustrations in public relations is you can get somebody on Oprah. Now, Oprah's gone, but Oprah-type show, okay? You get them an interview. You're in the PR business. You've done an amazing job. And they say, but it didn't bring me any sales. How do right. I know the value of this? And da 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 So, so you, you see how, like, if you're going to be interviewed, Okay, on a TV program, wouldn't you want people to have the option to, and you'd be able to show your client that buy. it converted to X many polos that got bought in a certain period of time or in a certain amount of sales that happened. So we're, we're trying to get to where we can start monetizing the, the PR efforts. Okay, so here's my next question. I mean, it sounds to me like you're trying to become like, you know, Rupert Murdoch or something. I mean, it's like a different sort of media empire, not just a mat release, but now you sound like a, oh, a media company. It sounds a little discombobulated. But no, it sounds like you like trying to build really a media nice. empire. Are you? Are you trying to, is this a Barry Diller move or what's your end game here? Honestly, all I'm trying to do is help my clients. 
Okay. But where is this all going? I'm hoping to have where the ad feed, the ad revenue stream is an enticing thing for more sites to take me on as content. And my, I think my last question is, Sure. are you ready? Is Dan Aykroyd going to play you in the movie of your life? <laughs> well, that would be funny and that would be very nice. <laughs> He's probably way older than you, but you're just reminding me so much of him. Well, I'm no spring chicken. My birthday <laughs> is next week, and I will admit it, I am a senior. <laughs> well, Obviously, if I've been doing this for 41 years, here I am. I don't know if it comes across, but I do this today because I really like what I do. I oh, it comes that. across. It sort of comes across. Yeah. You know, my, my wife says, why not retire? Should I retire? But, but, you know, I like doing this. How do you get to do more of what gives you joy and less of what gives you stress? I don't think it's an easy transition. I think what happens is you just have to take it literally day by day and take a look at what stresses you out. Is it something that you could pass off to someone else? Right. He said to me, if the relationships in your life, if there's tension or too much drama with one, do you really need it? you might want to make some other choices. Right. And so like, for example, I'm on this podcast because I hit it off with April. We had a quick conversation. I can see she gets it. I'm in. <laughs> well, no, no. I have one more serious question for you. Okay. So what do you think is next for media syndication? Videos, is it podcasts, is it both? I noticed that for me, we're all of a sudden getting a lot of bloggers that want our content in their blogs. And that's interesting to me because they're coming out of nowhere and they're creating and they're ramping up and they're doing their thing. And I'm happy to provide the content for free and they could put it in their blogs and roll with it. Uh, it gives my clients more exposure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. I've been thinking recently, I wonder if, content creation is going to become more and more the focus over earned media. If it's going to be more owned media where people are starting to put their focus but, with all of the but, media channels kind of some, in some cases, losing credibility, in some cases falling apart because they don't have ad dollars. Are we going to have thousands of everyone's own channels instead but, of major the, outlets? So content creation is one thing. Anybody could create a podcast. Anybody could create you know, a YouTube channel. Anybody can create content. The question really is audience. If you don't have enough audience, you can't monetize to the level that's exciting. And so, I mean, let's face it. It all comes down to whether it was the newspapers, whether it's radio, whether it's, you know, the Oprah show, the value is in the audience. Right. That you have what what eyeballs do you have right because any company could start their own podcast or their own blog or their own whatever you know anybody can start a channel on roku or this or that but okay yeah. you got it up there what's gonna have people go there and come back content so you gotta have the content if you think about it some of these influencers with the money they're demanding to be able to promote a product, 
you know, is that advertising or is that PR? I mean, what, where does it fall? Mm -hmm. At what point do all these lines get blurred? Yeah, that's my biggest question. You know? Since I know we're at time, any final thoughts, feelings, or plugs that you want to give for what you're working on? As I said earlier, what we do, News USA will write a feature story on your company or your product. You'll get to approve the copy. We'll place it on over 2,000 news sites. We'll report back the results. If they mention this show, April show, we'll call it if they mention the show or they say to any of my staff, April 500, I'll give them $500 off. Okay, their first test syndication with us. <laughs> and you can book a schedule of time with me to talk to me on this at newsusa.com. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This has been really fun. Props and all. Props and all. Okay. Thank you so much. Let's Great. talk okay. soon. We'll Laura, talk soon, really nice meeting you. I'm, I'm really <laughs> glad you were on this call because it, it <laughs> really too. added that other dimension. And you have clearly the biggest microphone I have ever seen. <laughs> My little puny microphone. Is April bought this for me. Wow. Cool. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Rip. We'll talk soon. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. So. Did I read the horror story? Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear this. I'm moving, I'm moving my giant microphone over because okay, I have my, my other computer. Okay. Hi, April and Laura. A few years ago, I was working at a mid-sized firm at a mid-management level. My higher-ups were big on appearances and a lot of stock was put into how the client perceived us in terms of optics. We had one particularly tough client. They had a massive contract and explained to us repeatedly that they were top earners in their sector with, quote, secrets that would blow up the news cycle if they ever got out. It was all very cryptic. And despite our NDA, they never did disclose those secrets to us. I thought it seemed shady, but my CEO insisted we needed to impress these very important people. <laughs> anyway, a few months passed and the client stopped paying us, claiming to be dissatisfied with our campaign. We'd been turning out a lot of trade placements, but the client wanted top tier. My supervisors made it pretty clear that we needed to win the client over again and pressured us to answer calls and emails at all hours of the morning and evening to the point where we were heavily over servicing. I'm dying to hear what happens here, aren't you? Eventually, we got an in-person meeting on the books. My AM was supposed to lead it, I guess account manager? Yep. But the morning of the meeting, she got sick and couldn't come in. I was feeling pretty terrible myself, but I knew we'd likely lose the account if we canceled. I didn't want to risk losing our biggest account and possibly my job as a result. So I went in anyway. I got to the client's office with two AEs in tow. Account executives, I assume. Yes. Yes. And then I politely excused myself from the conference room where we were waiting to get sick in the restroom. Then I rallied, returned, and gave a flawless presentation. 
I had saved the account. Oh my God. Two days later, HR calls me in. In not so gentle terms, she reprimanded me for going to the meeting. Apparently, someone on the client side had heard my restroom moment and called my CEO. What? They fired us for, quote, risking the welfare of their staff. Come on. And I got a major talking to from my boss. I wasn't fired right then, but I didn't survive the round of layoffs that followed. I felt pretty damned if you do, damned if you don't. What should I have done? Oh my God. That's terrible. That is a damned if you do, damned if you don't. I de- I've definitely done something similar. Not quite that bad, but like pulled through for some important meeting and tried to pretend the whole time I was presenting that my throat wasn't prickly and, you know, the sinuses or what, like some terrible cold. I haven't really thrown up, but I've definitely been way too sick to be at work and been at work. It wasn't me, but somebody I worked with was supposed to go to like some trade show or maybe a client meeting out of town and literally got in the car, went to the airport. I mean, this is going back like to the late nineties. And when she got to the airport, she realized like there was just no way she could get on an airplane. Like she was super sick. So she bailed and she got in so much trouble with the senior people at the agency. I don't think people would do that now after what's been going on in the world. No, it used to be you went to work no matter how deathly ill you were. Now it's the opposite. If you go to work and you're sick, you're going to get in more trouble than if you didn't go. The tables have totally turned with the generation, et cetera. I am so pleased by that. I know. Now, I guess it's because people think that you're lying, that you're not really sick. And so you can use it as an excuse, which I suppose you can. And I'm sure people have forever. But bottom line is, you know, if your employee is lying about being sick and is sick all the time and then their work is terrible, well, that's grounds for dismissal. But if somebody gets sick once in a while, like that's just like life for getting sick too much. Can you? So here's what I was just thinking. And I wouldn't have come up with it myself. I don't know if this is a she, but if it was, she should have told them that she was pregnant. (laughs) I mean, and then if they're like, well, where's the baby? You'd be like, well, now that you brought it up, you're bringing up something very painful. And I miscarried. (laughs) Oh God. Never in a million years would I have come up with that or done it, but now that I'm here, me, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, no, I'm embarrassed to say I had the same thought. Because this person is right, obviously, like, that if they said they were sick and didn't go, they would have gotten in trouble, and they went and they got in trouble, they couldn't win. And what would somebody say? Can't say anything. I didn't get everybody else pregnant. You can't catch pregnant. I mean, if the client got sick, though, then it would be like, well, got did it they, somewhere else. I was they, pregnant. They just said risking the welfare. Very presumptuous. Unless the person otherwise looked very sick. Right. But, but you could look very sick from being pregnant. Right. So that's my advice to people if that ever happened. But I don't think, this, <laughs> I don't know when this happens. This sounds like it's not too long ago, probably. I don't know why I say that. But the world has changed. Right. I think it's a wrap on that. Yeah. So should we move on to our news of the week? Yes. Okay. So the Times announced a new initiative of more than 15 subscriber-only newsletters. They've been working on the effort 
due to the big newsletter boom, which we've talked about here many times before. Mm -hmm. They hired Jay Caspi and Kang and Peter Coy for the newsletter project. So this is the New York Times answer to Substack and it will only be available to subscribers and writers include Tressie McKillen-Cotton, John McWhorter and Kara Swisher. So like known people, which we've talked about before. It'll span the opinion section and the newsroom. Readers without subscriptions, if you don't subscribe to the New York Times, you will still be able to read popular Times newsletters, including The Morning and Deal Book. Those are not behind paywalls. The subscriber-only project will include existing Times newsletters like On Politics, On Tech with Shira Oviday, On Soccer with Rory Smith, Smarter Living, and newsletters from current writers Jamel Bowie and Paul Krugman and Frank Bruni. So a lot of names that people have yep. known for many years. Editors in both the newsroom and opinion have been working on this for months as newsletters become more popular. Substack made overtures to Times writers with large advances to lure them to Substack as other reporters have left. So they decided there's people that are important enough to them that they, so I wanna know, are the Times paying them separate and above, which they, I, they must have. They have to be. Right, so let's see. They've been recruiting writers inside and outside the organization for the effort. More newsletters are on the way. The paper rearticulated its rules outside work, including paid and unpaid newsletters, books, and podcast deals. Until now, they had been staffing up for the project, but keeping it under wraps. So it doesn't say on this article in particular how these reporters are being compensated, compensated. but they have to be getting, because as we've discussed, Substacks newsletters, they get paid more than they've ever made as a journalist. Well, and I just heard that Glenn Greenwald is now funding some other content channels that people like Tulsi Gabbard and some other people are putting together, which is fascinating. Like in a VC sort of way, funding? I just heard about it. Let me, there's an article in The Hill. YouTube rival Rumble strikes deals with Tulsi Gabbard, Glenn Greenwald. So video platform Rumble, which has grown in popularity among conservatives as an alternative to YouTube, has reached agreements with eight thought leaders to provide content, including former representative Tulsi Gabbard, a Democrat from Hawaii, and journalist Glenn Greenwald. Prominent new voices add to Rumble's deep pool of content talent and further enhance the platform's breadth and depth of offerings to our viewers. So it says Rumble has exploded in popularity last year, becoming a haven for conservative voices that frequently violated content moderation policies of more mainstream platforms. As part of the agreement, the creators will get new resources from Rumble to produce videos that will be available exclusively on the platform for some period of time. The platform and others like it, such as Parler and MeWe, have grown amid unsubstantiated criticism from conservatives that major social media platforms are biased against them. Very interesting. I mean, it's just more factionalization of media. I was just going to say that. Are more we ever going to get news? More. Are we ever going to get real news? Is there, it, it's gone? That's it? We're just going to have to like hear people's opinions for the rest of our lives? That's what it's starting oh. to feel like, unless, right, have been unless. Born in 1920. It's too late. I feel like middle of the road is now considered conservative. You know what I mean? But I also feel like there are topics now that you're either like on one side or the other. And if you're not on the one side, then you're conservative. Right. And if you're on the other side, you're like a lunatic left-wing mental patient. 
but so going back to Substack, so it's really interesting. And I am happy to hear that the New York Times got a clue ahead of time and responded in kind. I feel like so many companies and media back in like the dot-com days or whatever, they're like Tower Records, like what is this online selling of music? It's ridiculous. And now they're out of business, right? So I think I'm glad to see a major media company has learned its lesson. I don't know where they're getting the money from, but I guess they better be doing a serious marketing campaign to get more subscribers, you know, to entice people to subscribe so that they can get this Substack like newsletter information. Mm -hmm. The biggest question in my mind is, are they still going to have the same freedom as New York Times Substack writers as they would? They were just Substack writers? Yeah. Or are they still going to get sort of, you know, edited yeah edited i don't know that's a good question we will never know unless one of them breaks out and tells us but i assume that money talks and being affiliated with the new york times has prestige Mm -hmm. i think so thank you (laughs) oh i know what we could talk about oh boy so april i didn't even think of this but now that i'm thinking of it it's a really good pr story did you see the Fields of Dreams game last week, the Yankees against the White Sox in Iowa, Miss Iowa, Ms. Iowa. I know. Well, it turned out to be great PR for Major League Baseball in a couple of ways. So let me tell you about it. Perfect. It was really good PR. I really did not read or see a bad word about it. It came off, everybody was into it. There's videos that people are crying. It was so good for MLB because MLB has been getting bashed to hell Uh, for various reasons. It's boring. It's too slow. The average age of the fans is 55. Uh, Rob Manford, the commissioner, is ruining the game with all these extra inning rules have changed. All these rules have changed. And people really down. And then with the coronavirus, you know, every team's got six of their starters in quarantine. Everybody's getting injured, et cetera. So they did this game and it was like, oh, the old days of baseball. And the reason why I love baseball and playing baseball and Kevin Costner and the movie and the what out of the all the nostalgia. Right. Except that the White Sox won. So it was, <laughs> of course, that was the Hollywood ending. Like they beat the mighty Yankees in the cornfield, you know? I mean, it kind of had to happen, right? Yeah. And then the good thing was that it was a three game series against the White Sox. They only played the one game in Iowa and then they went to Chicago where the Yankees put the White Sox back in their box for two games in a row. So, oh, and then the best part of it, which is always the thing that wasn't planned. There's a reporter, a major league baseball reporter, Brian Hoke. And he was like, okay, guys, I'm going to the game. See you there. Next thing you see on his Twitter feed, I'm at Newark. He's like there on whatever night it was. Monday night, the game was on Tuesday night. I'm at Newark. My plane just got canceled. So he's supposed to be in Iowa on Tuesday at six o'clock. And there he is in Newark at 9 p.m. No flight. Oh, no. He rents a car, drives through the night straight to Iowa, and has all of this content. This is what I'm eating. I brought this, whatever. And then he gets to the game, like an hour before it starts. And he's like, I'm here. And it became this whole separate content sidebar. Side story. Yes, about how Brian Hope got to the game. And then he reports on it and everyone's like, yay, made it to the game. It couldn't have been better. Like if he got on the plane and went to the game, who cares? That's what, you know, all these guys <laughs> do. So that was really great PR. 
and engaged people. And then how did I get involved? After the Yankees beat Chicago, both games afterwards. Yes, yes. He said to Aaron Boone, the manager of the Yankees, like, so, you know, isn't it upbeat to leave on upbeat? And he said something like, it's always great to be on a happy plane. Brian Hoke tweets, this is what Aaron uh-huh, Boone said. Uh-huh. And I wrote, who gets on airplanes? Drive. And he, Brian Hoke liked it. He's got like 121,000 followers. So like thousands of people who are checking out my tweet now. So that was my <laughs> big PR win. <laughs> I did not see that ending coming, but that is definitely the way we should end the podcast. Mic drop. Thank you for tuning in for the PR Wind Down podcast. Yes. And thank you to Rick for joining us for a most interesting interview. He was great. Remember to submit your own agency stories and questions and to share a show with your friends and colleagues. If you subscribe and leave us a rating, it also helps us reach new listeners like you. And if you have an anonymous PR horror story of your own, send it our way at the contact email below the episode notes. Can't wait to wind down with you again next time. All right. right. Well, I have a trainer coming here in 12 minutes. On that note, I have to go eat pizza. So perfect.